and welcome to As It Comes, life from a musician's point of view. I'm Davina, I'm a freelance cellist based in London, and I'm lucky enough to have had a bit of playing work come my way this week. Now, in the COVID era, this presents a new set of challenges. In previous episodes, I've already spoken about playing at a COVID-safe wedding in the summer, as well as catching the wrong train on my way to my first orchestral engagement in six months. But I've got to say, there's a whole new level of peripheral stress involved when taking on a gig these days. It was stipulated that no players were to travel to the studio via public transport. Fine, I'll drive. Only thing is, I haven't driven further than my local Tesco in however long. Does my long-distance vision even exist anymore? Will I remember which lane to get into at Hyde Park Corner, the most notorious roundabout of roundabouts? Next, before the session, everyone was to have a rapid flow test outside the studio. Fine also, and completely fair enough, but a bit stressful. How stink would that be? to be offered a gig for the first time in ages, wait around for your result, and then test positive. I mean, I have no reason to test positive, but you just don't know with this virus. After some intense nasal penetration and a 20-minute wait, I was declared negative, which was a relief, but was then faced with one and a half hours to kill. It's not like you can just hang out at the studios these days, what with the enforced limited capacity, Likewise, you can't just sit in the canteen. But where to go? Sure, you can get a coffee, but then what? You can't sit in. You also can't really hang out with your friends because that goes against the distancing rules. I opted to sit on a park bench motionless, silently, alone, and listen to a podcast. Made it back to the studio with the usual dance of sidestepping everyone you see to make sure you're not too close. But as soon as I heard the A to tune to, all of a sudden, everything was back to normal. The least stressful part of the day was the gig itself. I'm relieved that I still know how to read music and play my cello. In some respects, it's like riding a bike, theoretically. I say theoretically because I'm rubbish at riding a bike. But amidst all the chaos of the pandemic and whatnot, it's comforting to know that music making, as sparse as it is at the moment, is the one constant in our lives, and it must be treasured. My guest this episode is Dwight Pyle Gray. He's a horn player and conductor, as well as the creator of the Black Maestro podcast, where in short five to ten minute episodes, he shines a light on black musicians that have been overlooked throughout history. We had a chat recently about how the pandemic has changed and will continue to change our approach to music making in our lives, making space in the industry, and promoting excellence, as well as what Dwight likes to get up to when he's not making or thinking about music. Here's my chat with Dwight. Dwight, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. So we're here to talk a little bit about your journey as a horn player, as a conductor, and also as a podcaster, which we'll get to in a minute. But first of all, how's the whole pandemic been for you? I mean, obviously, everyone's lives have been turned upside down. How are you finding it all now that we're well into 2021? 
Okay, well, firstly, thanks for inviting me. So I've been really looking forward to being a guest on your on your show. So that's that's good. What can I say about the pandemic? If I'm really honest, I quite like it. To be, to be <laughs> honest, I, I quite like the fact that I'm able to get on with stuff, research, and look at stuff that I've had to put on the back burner. I also need to say that I'm really lucky because my day job is in the army, playing music in the army, and so we haven't had a lot of playing time but we are still employed and getting paid we're not furloughed or anything like that so I'm uh, an extremely fortunate uh, musician in, in that respect. It really makes you count your blessings doesn't it putting everything into perspective I think if if you're able to have a little bit of money coming in you have a roof yeah. over your head you have your health most importantly. Yeah. All, all of those things are uh, you know are important and you know, in this time, I've had a lot of time to do my research and you know, doing some teaching at university. I've got some conducting students and some master students. It's really meant that I can focus on stuff that I want to do. I've had some time to learn some new skills. Mm. So, you know, it's all been, for me personally, I know it's it's been okay, but I absolutely understand for other people, it's really rough. Yeah. How were you finding it before the pandemic, juggling all those different things? Because I know for me personally, my capacity for work has sort of gone down because obviously my workload has decreased. So, you know, yeah. there, will, there will sometimes be days where I think, oh, I've got one commitment on today. Oh, I'm absolutely exhausted. How would I have been able to <laughs> juggle yeah. that beforehand? <laughs> yeah, I, I marvel at all the stuff I used to do when, you know, I was going to work every day. And I think, how did I manage to, to do that? Now um, I have a diary that's split up into sections. So 8 to 8.30, 8.30 to 9. And that's how I do my days. And um, it's working well. I think people are tending to work longer hours, though. So rather than trying to fit everything into 9 to 5, you know, my day might start so my day started at 10 this morning but I'll probably go on till eight or nine this evening still doing work so we are kind of adapting um to the situation and I'm not sure uh, how we'll manage to go back to what life was like before <laughs> no it might be a total shock won't it but I think also not having to factor in travel as well so there have been times where I've opted to start my working day at 8 30 in the morning but I would absolutely abhor the idea, I think, back in the day, if I had to start at 8.30 on the other side of London. The fact that people don't have to do maybe a three-hour-a-day commute has really opened up people's eyes, I think, to the, the possibilities of working remotely. Yeah. And that's a good thing. It is. It, and hopefully it allows us to become more flexible in the future as well. You know, if this is an option, not having to travel around so much. I hope so. Um, I don't believe, though, that people are, really want to embrace technology, if I'm perfectly honest. <laughs> so I know we all have to use Zoom and stuff. And, you know, I, I'm a techie guy, so I, I love all that kind of stuff. But I think people are using technology because they have to. And once we get out of this, whenever that may be, I, I, I suspect people will want to go back to the old ways of doing things because they don't really trust their internet connection or their provider or, you know, security on WhatsApp or whatever it is, is the problem. <laughs> whatever is the new problem of the day, yeah, yeah for sure. So yeah. it's kind of crazy. So I believe that we as classical musicians, as opposed to, you know, 
pop musicians, funk music, whatever. We are really slow on the technology thing. We're way behind the curve. I'm not sure how we're going to really go back to um, concerts and, and stuff, but that's maybe part, uh, something for later on. But it's, I think it's a good idea to embrace a little bit of it, at least, isn't it? As you say, you know, we are quite slow I mean we still as string players we're still playing instruments that were based on a design from 300 years ago (laughs) (laughs) don't get me started on that I mean we we could be here all day now so you know I'm 52 although I didn't go to college when I was 18 through things but we'll come on to that later but I think people who are my age who went to college in you know the whenever it was the late 80s early 90s there is a different dynamic for them because what they did at college was they did performance. That's what they did. Mm. And then they went out and got a job. People who are younger, when I went to college, we did a whole load of things. We had a whole portfolio of things that you could build up. Um, And so it's much more likely that the younger generation of musicians will be able to flourish post COVID because they have portfolios. The older generations, people who are my age, but went earlier, that's, this is the thing that they know. This is what they do. And so I think it would be much harder for them to kind of incorporate technology into their practices. Yeah. It's very difficult, I think. That's interesting. I think that it's it's a necessity. If you're coming out of college now, you're going to have to be a lot more versatile, a lot more yeah. entrepreneurial, and not just be so narrow-minded. I don't know if I, narrow-minded is the word. Yeah, I know what you mean. One-track mind kind of thing. Yeah, or let's say, let's say uh, narrow focus, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit more tactful. <laughs> <That's> it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a difficult situation for everybody. And I was reading something on some musicians, on people who haven't worked since last year. And I was just incredulous that, you know, they haven't worked and are no work. And it's, and also they're kind of falling through the cracks because they can't get universal credit and because of some crazy. So how we're going to um, survive in the future yeah. is absolutely beyond me. Bring on that entrepreneurial spirit, I say. So yeah. you mentioned before um, going to college and everything. So tell me a bit about your musical journey. So you're primarily a horn player. Well, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, once upon a time. So I'm one of four children. My parents came to this country from the Caribbean. We had a piano in our house, even though my parents didn't play the piano. So we all had to play the piano, firstly. And we all had to play a second instrument. My older brother, he was the trombone. My second brother played the clarinet. My little sister played the violin. And they were all rubbish. Simple as that. They were all rubbish at them. No, they weren't rubbish musicians. They were rubbish at their instruments. And I would always say to people, I was chosen by the horn. Right. And there's a difference there. So they chose their instruments. I was chosen by the horn. And in that respect, if my father had said, oh, actually, you're not very good at trombone. Why don't you play the violin and and swap them round? Then it would have probably been better because I'm not even the best musician in my family. Simple as that. Right. What do you mean that the horn chose you? So when I was very young, I I heard um, Dennis Brain playing on the radio and I fell in love with the sound of the horn and then not long after that there was an opportunity at school and the teachers just said would I like to play the French horn just just like that okay cool and so I played the French horn with another guy and we we only had one horn in the school and we had to take it home one week each for practice and he was rubbish 
and I wasn't. <laughs> and then they decided that they had two trumpets and they put us both on the trumpet. And he was really good. And I was rubbish. Ah, oh, well, there you go. <laughs> so I gave up the trumpet and he still plays the trumpet now. He's like head of music over in Essex. And so that was his instrument. He was chosen by the trumpet. And then I went to secondary school. I think when I, when I got to about 13, I had the opportunity to play it again. And that was me. So it's a, it's a different thing. I fell in love with, with the horn, but actually the horn through the universe said, yep, I want you. Yeah, through all the cosmic circumstances, yeah, yeah. it found its way with you. Yeah. Not the other guy, not your brothers and no, sister. to me. Yeah. And actually, if my brother had chosen or been chosen by the flute, he might have been better suited to the flute or the saxophone or, or the trombone, whatever. They just didn't find the right instrument, so they stopped playing, yeah. which I find really sad. Everybody has their right instrument. I think everybody has the right instrument for them, but not everybody finds their right instrument. Mm. I mean, you could even be playing the, the clarinet and be really high-level achiever on the clarinet. might not be your right instrument, though. That's true. Yeah, you might play very proficiently, but you might not necessarily find the way to communicate in the way that was perhaps destined. Yeah, yeah. I love the horn. Yeah. I absolutely adore it. I just, I just love it in a way that I just can't love other instruments. <laughs> Honestly, I just, I just, you know, I play a bit of cello. Do you really? A tiny little bit. I don't love it. I play guitar. I don't love it. Yeah. I like it. I don't love it. Yeah, I know what you mean. So, for example, what's one horn solo or horn piece that just gives you that feeling to be honest i'm not really a horn piece player i don't really like horn music per se i like m music so if i listen to some marla yeah with horns and, and i just think oh oh <laughs> you know it's, oh. <laughs> it's just oh breaks your heart a little bit yeah <laughs> yeah you do oh. whereas i couldn't feel like I, I would never feel like that for the guitar yeah never i like it but yeah, but that's okay. We can like things, but then we yeah. can absolutely adore other things as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that that's me, me as a horn player. But I always wanted to be a conductor. To, to be to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. So, being the nerd that I am, we were playing Chike Five when I was at school, and uh, my father had a recording of it. Second movement where the brass coming, dee, da da dee, da 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 da, bass trombone blobs in. I went, that's not right. That's a, I've got to check that. So I went and got a score. <laughs> That's like 14, dickhead. And um, I said, ah, I knew it. I knew it was, I knew it was wrong. <laughs> Were you the angry person writing into the local newspaper? <laughs> no, it was just a record. I, was, I knew it. I knew it. And, so, and it was from there. I said, right, okay. And that was me. I mean, I've got to say, Chike 5, second movement, that's a good horn bit. M yeah, massive solo. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, probably every young horn player has either been in a section with that or had to play it. It's real nerve wracking. You know, I did it when I was like 14, 15 and it was pretty nerve wracking. But, you know, when you're 14, 15, don't have any fear. So you just get on with it. Yeah. I think doing those solos and things in youth orchestra, you don't have the baggage of previous performances no. hanging on you. So you just think this is a nice solo and you yeah, just yeah. blast your way through it. It's when yeah, you get you know, a little bit later after college when you're doing it professionally and you, yeah. the gravity of the situation really comes I in. Oh, God, I would <laughs> never do it professionally. I wouldn't, I wouldn't play that solo professionally, not me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, better to listen to someone else do it and enjoy yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, And then 
clap them as like, well done. Yeah, 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 rather than have the heart palpitations. Yeah, yeah. So one thing that's really been keeping you busy throughout this pandemic, one of your pandemic projects, I'm calling it, is your podcast, fellow podcaster. So it's called The Black Maestro Podcast, and it's a series of short episodes profiling black musicians throughout history that perhaps have been overlooked by the history books and recordings. What I really enjoyed about them is that they're all quite short snippets, so quite good for someone like me who doesn't have the best attention span. But what I really liked is I could just sit down of a lunch break and just listen and learn something new. So tell me a little bit about your, your motivation for starting the podcast. I had a blog before and I had um, lots of kind of semi-dissertations on there. I just thought that it's much easier for people to listen to stuff. I prefer to listen to stuff than to re-read stuff. Mm, I'm saying. But I don't want to try and give people a lecture. Who wants that? Nobody wants that. <laughs> so I thought that I would just do a series of just like little shorts. Mm. They're okay, between five and ten minutes. It just gives people some information, 10 minutes. It's really easy. You can listen to it wherever doing something. And then it's up to you whether then you want to go and find out some more about it or not. And it's as simple as that. And that's all I want to do. Just give you, just put your toe in the water and then it's up to you. I think that's a, a better way than trying to ram it down people's throats, if I'm perfectly honest. It's accessible. I think one thing that's really commendable is that you're able to put in all this information in such a short amount of time because it's quite difficult to really profile a a musician, maybe someone that people haven't really heard of in a short space of time. You really have to make all of your words matter in that sense. So how do you go about writing these segments? For me, it's about doing something specific for that particular composer. So I'm not giving you a whole biography about their life and all of their works. I'm saying, for example... Joe Bloggs, he was born in this, and this is one of the things that he did, and that's the thing I'm focusing on. So it's not about his whole catalogue, you know, that he met Jane Bloggs. Nobody cares. (laughs) What they they care about is this tiny little thing that's interesting. And then they go, oh, okay, I can go off and look at Joe Bloggs. Oh, he did this as well, and he did this, and he did this, and he did this, rather than, you know, smash everything all together in one thing. It also means that later on, I might revisit Joe Bloggs with something else. Mm. Yes. Another 10 minutes on Joe Bloggs's, you know, second symphony. So, and I think that's a, be- a, a better way to go. I mean, it's, and it's not just about those. I mean, I've got one that I'm releasing soon, which is, he's not a composer, he's a conductor. So I'll do a little 10-minute thing on him, and then we see how we get on. And that way it becomes like a form of storytelling, because I think that's what the audio medium is really good for, is for listening to stories, listening to anecdotes. You were saying people get put off by lectures and and things being rammed down their throats because it's just facts and figures, facts and figures. And for me personally, I find that quite difficult to listen to. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I do music because I love it. I actually love music as you as you do you know you know what it's like it's my it's my whole life and it's fun and I want other people to have fun too it's not fun if somebody's sitting there saying something totally boring yeah yeah that's boring yeah so um I want to make it short and snappy and relevant and then people can say oh that was that was all right I don't know anything about (laughs) classical music 
but that was all right. Yeah. <laughs> you have to be able to transmit your love for the music in this form. I hope I do, you know, and I wanted to, I want to make it fun. And I have this big thing about us as classical musicians because we're pretty straight. And that's the thing I've been saying to my own conductor students. I play the horn the same way as my teacher, who was taught by a guy, 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 taught by a, taught by a, taught by a guy, who played in the 19th century. I'm still, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Why would you, yeah, the same for you, you know, that's what we do. And then you're taught, you know, there's no movement. You can't remove music from dance. You're playing a dance movement and we're sitting there like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I think we become quite obsessed with replicating because it's a huge legacy, obviously, that we're carrying on this, this Western classical yeah. music tradition, but we need to bring something new to it as well. And it kind of ties in with what you were saying before about yeah. the older generation, perhaps, I'm not going to say everyone in that generation, perhaps struggling with you know, what to do next, given these unprecedented yeah. times, because we need to bring something new to it so that it can exactly. continue. Yeah. So I've got some students at, um, at, at college and they're kind of scared about what they can do. And, and I'm saying, but I know we're in a pandemic, but we are absolutely in a time where we can do anything we like. Mm. You can experiment with technology and be innovative in all the things to take forward what we can do with our art in the next 10, 15, 20 years. That is exciting. Yeah. I know that the times are rubbish, but the fact that we can just do whatever we like, oh my God, yeah, it's just brilliant. It is pretty exciting. I, I definitely think so. You were saying before how you know, you've actually quite enjoyed your time during the pandemic and you, you definitely see the differences of, of people who have approached this time. You know, you can either think, well, okay, I've got this time, I'm going to pursue my own projects. Or you can think, oh, I really wish I was still doing that concert that I was booked for last year. <laughs> but what yeah. one's going to happen, you know, what's actually going to have a future? Exactly. So. And it's, it's about testing things. So with one of my orchestras, we are doing a kind of virtual rehearsal. Now, I know loads of people have been trying to do virtual rehearsals. But the way that we're doing it is that we are just getting a recording and everybody is playing along to that recording. And firstly, it means that you're just in your house, so you don't have the worry about other people hearing what you're doing. Secondly, it means you can actually play repertoire that you wouldn't necessarily play because uh, you don't have 24 horns to do Mahler 29 or... Yeah, you don't have to, like, book all the players, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you can do that, but everything is is all in there. Okay. I assume everyone's on mute, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. What a mess. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. It means that you, as a player who hasn't practised for a year... Now you've got something to do mm. and it gives you uh, some kind of focus. And it also means that the stuff that you were doing in terms of how you were practising, you can challenge yourself yeah. a little. The fact that everybody's there and also it gives them the, the kind of social interaction that they've been missing. I just think it's a, a really good way to prep and prime people for when we actually get back into uh, rehearsals because yep. people now are starting thinking oh god I better practice even though nobody's going to hear what you're doing yeah but for their own self-worth they do so so things like that 
are really excellent. Take that further and further, we're now starting to see that we can do performances remotely, we can do streaming into people's homes, places of work, whatever it is, and that's where our new battleground, I suspect, I suspect is going to be. It's not going to be in South Bank Centre. It's not going to be in the Albert Hall. They're going to be new environments, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing something new next week, which probably wouldn't have really happened so much before last year. They're filming a string quartet playing some music which reflects art in an art gallery in London. And that's the kind of thing that like, oh, that would have been very, very innovative or not really heard of, you know, back yeah, yeah. before coronavirus. But we sort of have to do these new things. And so you can't be camera shy anymore, can you? Yeah. <laughs> Partly it means that we're going to break out of this crazy thing where um, classical music is in this little box. Yeah. And only a certain section of society can get involved in it. And... Yeah. If it means that we're more accessible and more people can access this kind of music then I think that's a great thing access that's one of my big things as well I just kind of don't understand where this notion that classical music is kind of this cerebral art that can only be understood by people who've got 14 degrees and you know Oxford and Cambridge come on I I know it's I think it's just a myth that's perpetuated don't get me started on that one though (laughs) I won't get myself in trouble but it just what I think part of it you know talk about a little bit but part of it is is this deep insecurity as well so you get these people who are talking about classical music in a particular way because they feel like they should and if they don't they'll be caught out they'll be called an imposter and they'll be booted out yeah 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 yeah. it's like uh you know clapping in between movements (laughs) <laughs> how dare you <laughs> yeah yeah you know shh, stop it you know i mean i don't care and um if you want to clap brilliant i'm all for that but because of this whole kind of 19th century thing that we would be talked about this is on and on and on and on and on just sit down and bow tie and then uh, rubbish <laughs> i know and one thing that's been excellent during the pandemic is like blasting symphonies at home and being able to sing at the top of your lungs you can't really do that in the concert hall, can you? Well, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Uh, I mean, you would be ejected, but in a nice way, because obviously the, the ushers are, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Spaces are they're not like bouncers in a club. Show you the door. Lightly show you the door, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if we're going to smash the system up, which personally I'm all in favour of, I do have a problem with the whole kind of, let's smash the system, let's get rid of these dead white guys, blah, 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 blah rubbish. Okay. We have to understand classical music is a white Western European art form. That is what it is. Mm. Okay, so you can't turn around and say, right, we need to stop listening to these dead white guys. Well, dead white guys actually made it. That's what they did, Mm. you know. And there were some women who composed too, not as many as as white guys. And there were some black guys, there were some Asian guys, but not as many as white guys. We just need to add these guys into that not take away the guys who are there so that's kind of the thing but once we're doing that let's just kind of open it up and say yes they're there but we can be relaxed about it you don't have to cry in St Matthew's Passion do you know what I mean (laughs) (laughs) oh I'd cry in St Matthew's Passion for completely different reasons being a cellist Yeah, exactly. It's about creating space. It's not taking anyone else's space away, but it's just shining a light 
on more things. That's all we need to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what I think. Um, hopefully there are lots of people who feel the same way as I do. And, you know, we're moving towards a situation where we can introduce other composers. But also, I just have to say, not if they are rubbish. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I'm a, I am only about promoting excellence. So I'm not interested in any composer, whatever colour or gender they are, if their music's rubbish, because there's no point in promoting that. Why would we do that? Yeah. But some people think that, oh, well, there aren't enough black composers. So let's give this guy, let's, let's promote his music. But he's composing for a comb and a piece of tissue paper. That's rubbish. The tokenistic kind of vote. Yeah. yeah. Why would you do that? I mean, that just doesn't do anybody any favours at all. So let's get the best of the best. It's as simple as that. It's always good to be driven by quality. Quality will always speak for itself eventually. Exactly. And that's and that's what we what we want to do. So if we can only get, for example, two black composers at this time because their works are excellent then that's what we do and we promote those guys to the hill and I say guys for everybody dudes everybody and that's what we do Mm. we don't promote five guys and three of them you know have never composed before (laughs) (laughs) that's just ridiculous so speaking of excellence what would be your recommendation of a performer a composer that you think deserves more recognition Oh my God! I'm going to I'm going to go and give you two. So um, first, I'm going to say Florence Price. Now, probably everybody in this country who plays classical music knows about Florence Price right now. Mm. She's really com- common currency, and she's common currency because she's excellent, and she's a black woman composing at the beginning of the 20th century. I mean, brilliant. So I would urge people to go and uh, listen to some of her her works. At the moment, I'm championing uh, Nathaniel Dett also early 20th century he was a Canadian his works also excellent and um, for one reason or another we know that these guys have been overlooked but the quality of their work speaks for itself they're worth uncovering that's what I say You may or may not know I have a segment in my podcast called the Wildcard Question Round. I've been looking forward to this. Great. I love to hear that because some people really freak out. (laughs) So this is where you get the opportunity to choose what I ask you next based on three choices that I present you. So your topics are non-musical pursuits, essential listening, and travel. Ooh. Non-musical pursuits. Okay, so what is something you like to do away from music? Walk my dogs. Dogs? Plural. Tell me about your dogs. So I've got two dogs. I have a a miniature schnauzer called Lulu. She's eight years old. She was my birthday present eight years ago. My wife uh, thought that I needed to have a friend. (laughs) So she bought me a dog. So clearly, you know, my wife is not my friend, so it's really weird. Um, so she's lovely, and um, I have another dog. Uh, she's just sleeping down here. Oh, guest dog caster. What kind of dog is she? She is a, a miniature schnauzer and a poodle cross. Come here, lovely. And her name is Suki. Suki. Uh, and um, Oh, hello. We're hoping, there she is. We're hoping... You 
should. But there's some um, some puppies cooking in there. We hope. <gasps> so we've just taken her to uh, a young bow a couple of weeks ago. So lots more doggies. Oh, that's really yeah, exciting. Yeah, so I hope that the magic has happened and that there's some some puppies cooking inside her. <laughs> so so that's it. And to be honest with you, you know, I take my dogs out every day as as, as one should, and um, I have a whole life of dog walking. So I know loads of people. It's kind of weird. So I have this other circle of friends that I only know through walking my dogs. Yeah, because I imagine you'd see the same people at the park and everything, right? And they go, you get into the same routine, the same cycles, and you know each other's yeah, yeah. dogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and actually, you know, you know lots of you know lots of stuff about them. So one of the ladies I walk my dog with, it just so happened that she likes classical music. It was brilliant. It's a small world. Tiny. It just goes to show that like classical music touches all walks of life, even the dog walkers, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, I find that walking my dogs first thing in the morning, you know, just gives me some quiet time. It gives me some time to kind of reflect on what happened yesterday and what I've got to do today, and just you know, not really concentrate on anything apart from having a lovely time with my doggies. Yeah. Oh, that sounds very therapeutic. Yeah, it's brilliant. Love it. Lovely. Great. Well, thank you for your answer to the wild card question. Run. I'm always very enthusiastic to hear about people's pets, yeah. dogs, cats. So we have cats too. For that. Oh, do you? Yeah, oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah, yeah. How many cats have you got? Two, Sydney and Mabel. And um, Suki's there. So when we got them, they were about 10 weeks old and Suki was just coming up to a year and um, she just adopted them and they, you know, used to cuddle up to her and... and sort of disgusting no but i like that it's an interspecies love they absolutely adore sweet. her so it's 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 the weirdest thing so they curl up with her and sometimes they sleep together on on the chair and oh yeah. they probably think oh this dog is a nice lovely duvet yeah yeah, yeah. and they also like the dog treats but that's a that's another weird oh thing. yeah that's a bit weird well i think maybe they think they're actual little dogs because she's a dog maybe that's what they think true yeah so, um, yep. so yeah so we've got a whole house house full of um pets Dwight thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast it's been fantastic speaking to you about your approach to the pandemic and your pandemic projects yeah so where can people find out more about you and your work and your podcast uh, well most importantly my podcast but it is called the black maestro you can find it on spotify and uh, there are other podcast platforms available so uh, uh, if you can find it on some of those too i'm just updating my own personal website now i've got some some things have just happened in the last couple of weeks that i are going to be quite exciting but i can't say anything about them i've been there's an embargo on it right now so um so something exciting is happening uh, for me and that will go on on my website and people can see 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 what i'm up to in, in terms to, in terms of that so yeah well, thanks for that we'll hopefully keep up to date with everything that you're up to and thanks again for being on the podcast thanks for inviting me i had a really great time so cheers <laughs> Hope you enjoyed my chat with Dwight. 
please check out the show notes for a link to Dwight's podcast, The Black Maestro. As mentioned in the chat, they're short five to ten minute episodes providing little snippets of information, so they're very easily digestible if you've got a few minutes free. Dwight mentioned the composers Nathaniel Dett and Florence Price in the conversation, and has very kindly sent me some recommendations of pieces by the two. So I've compiled them into a Spotify playlist, which you can listen to after you finish this episode. Included are Price's Symphonies No. 1 and 4, and fun fact, in both she's replaced the third movement, which is typically a scherzo or something, with a juba dance. Dwight tells me that the juba was a dance imported into the United States by slaves originally in Charleston, and it's thought to have originated in the Jumba region in the African Kingdom of Congo. I recommend listening to those movements. They're certainly very catchy. The music will be in your head long after listening to it. I'd love to hear more of this in the concert hall going ahead. Indeed, this week, when I was having a YouTube binge, I came across a recent excerpt played by members of the Colorado Symphony, all socially distanced, with masks and everything, but with the dance choreography as well. So I hope we're seeing an increase of Florence Price's music being performed. And as mentioned in our conversation, the pandemic is giving musicians reason to explore new ways of presenting music. Very exciting. And good for me to get a bit of variety in my YouTube algorithm, aside from cooking and Zelda videos. Don't judge. That's it for today. Special thanks to Ros Nagy for my logo and Daniel Elms for my jingle. Massive thanks to Dwight Pilegray for being my guest this episode. And as always, thank you for listening. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can now donate and buy me a coffee on my coffee page. Link in the show notes. Get in touch at asitcomespodcast at gmail.com or on the website asitcomes.com where you'll also find all previous episodes and transcripts of the podcast. You can also get in touch with me via Instagram and Facebook, where I highly recommend you give me a follow and a like at As It Comes Pod. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to those who've already done so, and thanks for continuing to spread the word. Chat to you soon, and take good care. Bye!